know I took some time off, but I didn't forget how to ride. Winning a championship is one thing. You don't have to win every race to do that. The perfect season's in the back of my mind, but uh, if I don't do it, I can say I've done it before. So. Ricky Carmichael has been absolutely perfection this year on the outdoor season. Another amazing moto finish for Ricky Carmichael. No one has been able to answer the conundrum that is Ricky Carmichael and how to stop him. Undefeated in 2004 is Ricky Carmichael. One time, unbelievable. Two times, impossible. This story is about Ricky Carmichael doing something even he thought wasn't possible. A second perfect season. I doubt if this will ever happen again, Carmichael told Cycle News after the 2002 Steel City National when he completed his first 24-0 run. The project you're listening to right now started well over a year ago and began as a 20th anniversary celebration of that 2002 season. I don't remember any of the conversations. I think a lot of people around me. This is Carmichael talking about his memories of 2002. I was realizing what I was doing. I wasn't realizing what I was about to accomplish. But um, so those feelings that I had before the second moto ring clear in my mind. And then I'll never forget when I crossed the finish line. Checkered flag. Ricky Carmichael has done it. 24 motos, 24 moto wins just how many other um, mechanics and team personnel from other teams were clapping for me and congratulating me. But the more Ricky and I chatted, the more we found ourselves riffing about 2004, his second perfect season, which was memorably more difficult. And the deeper we got into that conversation, the more we discussed his 2003 knee injury, missing the 04 Supercross season, and signing with American Suzuki during the recovery. That turned into The Greatest Gamble in Motocross, a completely different story, which is available elsewhere at We Went Fast. This story, however, is about how Carmichael did the unthinkable again, how he returned from injury and dominated. Obviously, you're listening to the audio version. For a more interactive experience that includes trivia questions, polls, photos, and infographics, check out the print version at wewentfast.com. And for better bike graphics or decals, go with Throttle Jockey. Ricky Carmichael ran a number one plate exactly once in his three years with American Honda, and it was Throttle Jockey's Robert Davis who carefully applied those backgrounds. That was September 12, 2004 and Carmichael was two motos away from the second perfect season of his career. If RC was going 24-0 again, Throttle Jockey sweated the details and left nothing to chance, even the application of the graphics. I'll get into more details of that day later in this podcast. For 25 years now, Throttle Jockey has supplied race bike graphics for the American Honda Motocross team. If you want to make your Honda look exactly like Jet Lawrence's 450 race bike, or want to recreate the magic of Ricky Carmichael's Woody Woodpecker from 2002? Throttlejockey.com is where you start. Working on a throwback build from the 1970s, 80s, or 90s? Throttlejockey.com will help you make it period perfect. Passion, history, quality. Throttlejockey.com And if you like what we're doing at We Went Fast, join the Fast family. Go to shop.wewentfast.com for shirts, hats, books, and art. We also have officially licensed Ricky Carmichael merchandise, 
all inspired by the GOAT's dominance, including The Art of Perfection, an 18 by 24 inch illustrated representation of Carmichael's 24-0 domination. Please share this episode with a friend and leave a rating and review. And if you want free stickers delivered directly from us, go to wewentfast.com slash subscribe. The details are in the welcome message. That's wewentfast.com slash subscribe. And now, 24-0. How Ricky Carmichael made lightning strike twice. A round-by-round analysis of RC's perfect motocross season, the second one. Ricky Carmichael's 2004 plans did not include racing the AMA Pro Motocross Championship. His torn left ACL needed a rebuild, but he wanted to race Supercross more than he wanted to repair his knee. He thought he could punt surgery until May 2004. He had three things motivating this decision. One, although he was the defending champion, Carmichael got beaten by Chad Reed at the final six rounds of the 2003 AMA Supercross season. He wanted redemption. Two, he made a late off-season switch to the Honda CRF 450R four-stroke. Riding that bike seemed almost like an unfair advantage. Third, Carmichael was in the middle of a contract extension with American Honda. Sitting on the sidelines would weaken his negotiating power. His decision to keep grinding became a bit too literal, however. His femur and tibia were rubbing against each other. On November 25, 2003, Carmichael went to Castillo Ranch in Central California for a test session on the four-stroke. During warm-up, his knee popped out of place while squeezing the bike's fuel tank in the air. Unlike the knee pain he felt earlier in the fall, he couldn't grimace his way through it this time. He couldn't even step off the motorcycle when he rode back to the truck. Only Carmichael's inner circle knew about his ACL, and now he couldn't avoid confessing to the team about the injury. That was almost more excruciating than the pain. With tears in his eyes and emotion in his voice, he told them he was done. There would be no Supercross season for him. And it was just like crickets. The only guy I'd told was uh, Johnny O'Mara. And he was there with me, you know, not telling the team members beforehand. I just felt horrible. I should have just had it fixed in September. You know, when I, when I originally did it, I did much more damage by not having it repaired. Uh, because without the ACL there, you know, my knees moving around, it's tearing up cartilage, meniscus, the whole bit. Like I'm doing severe, severe damage to my, to my knee and it would eventually, you know, cause me to have a longer uh, recovery time, all that fun stuff. Carmichael went under the knife on December 9, 2003 and didn't ride a motorcycle again until the first day of April. In that nearly four month span, he recovered, recharged, shockingly signed with American Suzuki and worried about his knee. But I was just so scared that, you know, it wasn't going to heal back properly. Not my ACL, but all, all, all my uh, meniscal repair. I was worried about it. 
because you know because he sewed it all together and I have this vision in my head of what it looked like and what it was probably like and I know how delicate it was and so I was just I was just really hoping and praying that it it grew back together and like like this in, internal stitching held and it just didn't tear back you know the opening round of the 04 MX schedule went off with a swirl of curiosity and questions. Did Carmichael still have it? The fans wanted, expected, to see battles between Carmichael and Chad Reed, the new Supercross champion, or between Carmichael and Kevin Windham, the only other rider to win an overall going back to 2001. Those battles did happen, but not often, and they were blink and you'll miss them brief. Carmichael won all 12 overalls and all 24 motos. He set the single fastest lap time in every single moto. He led every single lap in 17 of the 24 motos and 97% of the total laps run. Of the dozen he didn't lead, all were within the first three circulations of each moto. If he was trying to let people know whether or not he could win again, he said it loudly without saying a thing. A perfect season, though? I never set out to go undefeated. Like, I had my goals to, to like, I mean, obviously, if I thought I could go 24-0, I would have said that was my goal. My goal would be to win three-quarters of the round overall. So I don't think that I got too wrapped up or in the weeds about going 24-0 just because I know it's, it's so far-fetched and there's so many variables that have to happen to do that. I think that's something that just needs to come naturally. It wasn't as boring as the result sheet might suggest, however. Things did go wrong, just not at the right time for the competition to capitalize. The 2004 motocross season started with the Hangtown Motocross Classic. And we welcome you to Hangtown. We are just outside of Sacramento, California on a picture-perfect day, and what a way to start the outdoor season. Round one. Rancho Cordova, California, May 16, 2004. He was the defending champion, yet Carmichael felt like the new kid at school, the one that shows up halfway through the year. That probably sounds absurd to the listener, but imagine it from his viewpoint. He hadn't raced in over seven months, had recently recovered from knee surgery, popped up at only a few supercross races, switched to a four-stroke, and had already committed to racing for a different brand in 2005. I just felt like there was a lot of noise that day, Carmichael says. Obviously for good reason. There was a lot to talk about. In response to this, he did something he normally disapproves of. He played games with the competition. Before the race day practice sessions, he told Gosler to remove the transponder from the motorcycle. Take that thing off so everyone is wondering, he told the man they call Goose. In 2004, lap times did not determine who raced in the feature motos as they do today. They were simply a measuring stick, and Carmichael didn't want anyone to see his. Kind of like, you guys don't worry about me, figure it out yourselves, he says. So officially, Kevin Windham set the fastest lap time of the final session, over two seconds faster than David Villeman. Gosler uses one word to describe how he felt coming into that weekend. Uncertain. And his feelings became more mixed when his plan to get race simulation testing in was literally choked off. During the week of round one, 
Gosler loaded up a box van and drove to a private practice track in the forest east of Sacramento. Carmichael only got one moto in before the engine locked up. The dust was unbearable, and the fine, silty soil went through the filter. Gosler didn't have a spare motor. The abbreviated practice session did little to ease his mind. You never know until you race. How are things going to go? Who is going to be the guy? Gosler says today. Carmichael felt the uncertainty as well, even a bit of doubt, but he was still confident enough in himself to make subtle statements before the first gate fell, like withholding lap times and wearing pants with sea biscuit on the back of them, a nod to the undersized thoroughbred racehorse of the 1930s that recovered from what should have been a career-ending injury, yet continued winning. That was cool. Like Seabiscuit was like a slap to the face to the guys. Another, like a dig at the people who disrespected me and just put me out to pasture. And then luckily it worked out. I would look like a moron if it didn't, but, <laughs> but it was cool. On paper, the day was flawless for Carmichael. He led all 16 laps of each moto, winning the first by over 11 seconds. In reality, they were two of the toughest races of his career. The first moto was the most brutal of the whole season, he says. I was just uncomfortable, and I didn't have a chance to really relax. He gives a lot of credit to David Villeman, who pressured him early. He felt like he was on the edge and said he was close to surrendering. He was just hounding me the first moto. I couldn't break him. I was pumped up, probably rode a little too hard, harder than I should have. But Villeman was the one who went backwards. Both Kevin Windham and Chad Reed passed him at the halfway point, and he finished fourth. In the second moto, Villeman stayed within a few seconds of Carmichael for the first half, but couldn't get close enough to engage in a battle. Like he had done for three consecutive years, Carmichael opened round one with double moto wins. When interviewed by Kit Palmer of Cycle News, Carmichael unburdened himself of the strong feelings he harbored. As bad as I wanted to win today, I kind of wanted to make a statement, not to the riders, just to the people who talk so much BS about things, jump to conclusions, and the lack of respect, he said. You know, I had a lot to prove. It was important for me to do what I did today. Almost 20 years later, Carmichael reads what he said to Cycle News and was asked where those feelings and the strong statement came from. I can't stand disrespect. I feel like sometimes our sport has the least amount of respect for past champions, current champions. It, it's crazy, like being exposed to other sports, NASCAR for me, I feel like the respect level is so much higher. And I could see that because I was a follower of NASCAR before that and it was just frustrating, you know, like, I mean, they just throw you out to pasture so fast or so fast to pass judgment on you, on someone and like, Dude, it pissed me off. Gosler is reminded of this day every time he walks into the repair shop he now runs in Idaho. Photos of Ricky coming across the finish line, standing on his pegs with both hands high in the air, was splashed across magazine covers and advertisements. A celebratory banner with one of those images hangs in the garage of Gosler Power Sports, his Grangeville, Idaho service and repair shop. That was a happy moment, Gosler says. There it is. Your winner from Hangtown, Ricky Carmichael.
all the talk and BS that I was hearing, you know, before the first race, it feels good to uh, be back. And, uh, you know, I know I took some time off, but I didn't forget how to ride. And I'm so pumped right now, man. You know, I was saying to myself inside, I don't have to win this race. You know, I want the title. This is the perfect spot to mention that the limited edition poster available at wewentfast.com shop is based on the finish line moment from Moto2 when Carmichael took the checkered flag with two hands in the air. Find the art of perfection at wewentfast.com shop. Round two, Mount Morris, Pennsylvania, May 30th, 2004. Now he's got a blasted way back from falling over in that corner. 2004 Supercross champ Chad Reed out in front. Ricky Carmichael in second place. And you are exactly right. And the Hannah School of Comeback. Carmichael goes to the inside. He gets right past Chad Reed. It was the exact same corner. And that time it was Reed that made the mistake. And I tell you, you know, we didn't see Reed make a mistake like that almost all through Supercross. So Ricky Carmichael moves back in front after Chad Reed held about a lap on that front row pace. And here it is now. The question is, can Reed stick with number four Carmichael? The win at High Point had a different kind of sweetness to it because he had to pass two of his toughest competitors to get it, Reed and Wyndham. In the first moto, Carmichael took the whole shot and pulled away. On lap three, his rear wheel bounced out of a rut in a right-hand turn and he fell. He kept the bike running, but he remounted eight seconds behind Reed. By the end of lap four, he was in the lead again. In Moto2, Wyndham came about 10 feet shy of leading the first three laps. Your leader continues to be Kevin Wyndham, but that may be changing shortly. Wow, you saw Carmichael come around the outside. He got a hook in him there. Wyndham trying to square that up. Now down Bradshaw Boulevard, side by side. Gives him a look over, and Carmichael is on the inside. And I just, just again, Wyndham messed up right there at the beginning of that section, and it took him out for the whole section, and that's all Ricky needed. Like blood in the water to a great white, Carmichael smells the bobble and just flies past it. Gets a tear off the boot in. This kid is amazing. Now the question is, how quick can Wyndham retaliate? Shockingly, these would be the only two laps Wyndham would lead all season. More shockingly, the opening two laps at High Point were the only second moto laps that Carmichael didn't lead all season long. Of the 185 second moto laps, Carmichael led 183 of them. Honda rushed out a two-page win ad to accompany the Mount Morris race coverage. The main copy read, The CRF 450R dominated the first two races. Any bets on the other 10? Just a corner to go for Carmichael before he gets another win. When you add them all up, Todd, this would be number 98. Supercross and motocross combined. Unbelievable for a 24-year-old. So let it be written, your winner at the Thor Nationals High Point Raceway, Ricky Carmichael once again comes to High Point and walks away with a victory. Round 3, Southwick, Massachusetts, June 13, 2004. There's Reed. He has moved into third, but already he's got his work cut out for him. Cameron, check out this start. That's picture perfect by Carmichael. Well, it's tough to come off the asphalt and keep the bike straight. Look at that. His body never moves. I mean, watch his body position. He's perfect all the way. Guys, that your wheel up. He starts to get swirly. Ricky just moves. Perfect out of that game. 
A very rough course at Moto X 338 allowed Carmichael to fall further in love with the Honda CRF 450. This should be noted, he says. The gnarlier the conditions were, the better that bike performed. It's almost like it worked better in crappier conditions rather than when the track was fully prepped. He continued to make ECU adjustments and felt his setup was near perfect. Few people, however, know how close the perfect season came to ending in Southwick. It's a miracle the bike made it to the finish at all, because it quit before it made it back to the Honda truck. Carmichael dominated Southwick. He led all 35 laps, won the motos by 28 and 33 seconds each, and lapped into the top 10 in both outings. The obliteration was so bad, Cycle News' Brendan Lutz wrote, If this race is any indication of what is to be expected this season, then the competition needs to look out before this turns into a repeat of Carmichael's perfect one from a few years ago. While Carmichael, Reed, and Wyndham sprayed the champagne on the podium, Gosler grabbed the bike to get a head start on maintenance. Riding uphill along the access road back to the paddock, the 450 made strange noises, and as he approached the Honda truck, the crank locked up. When asked what caused it, Gosler laughs. A knucklehead riding it wide open for 40 minutes. People think that these bikes are indestructible, but when you put a guy like that on there, anything can break. It's just moving parts. He cooked that thing. Just killed it. Carmichael, 99 career wins, gets his fifth in a row in the 250 class here at Southwick. He owns that record all by himself. He's no longer tied with the team Honda advisor, Justin Carmichael, yet another entry in the American motocross record books. Round four, Mechanicsville, Maryland, June 20, 2004. Right now, let's send it down to the pit area and check in with Jamie Lynn. There's a lot of fathers on the line today, including a few expectant dads like Tim Ferry, Kevin Windham, and David Villeman. So from all of us here at ESPN, we want to say happy Father's Day to all of you and enjoy the rest of the race. With his dad, Big Rick, and Papa, his 80-year-old grandfather watching, Carmichael gave his elders the perfect Father's Day gift. He won round four at Bud's Creek Motocross Park. It was the 100th AMA Supercross and Motocross victory of his career. 100 wins, he said after the race. Hell, 100 races makes me feel old. He was just 24. Chad Reed led the first two laps of the first moto. Carmichael stalled his bike after the finish line and said he needed 10 kicks to get it going again. I think now he just pays it off by going for the perfect season this year again and and just silencing anybody who ever doubted Ricky Carmichael. And it's going to be an interesting year next year, obviously, with the change. But just to be able to go to the races and watch this guy race and talk to him. And he's such a good guy, a personable guy. He works hard. I mean, he deserves everything he gets. And I think the key there is work. This guy works nonstop. Your winner, 250 class on the day, Ricky Carmichael picks up the magical 100. On the podium, Fox Racing Scott Taylor presented him with a jersey filled with 100 skull and crossbone iron-ons, the coveted rectangles that represented race wins during the season. He left Maryland with a 32-point lead over Reed. Round 5, Buchanan, Michigan, July 4, 2004. 
is the white flag lap. Ricky Carmichael has absolutely dominated. Gets the whole shot, checks out, kept himself nice and clean and out of trouble. After Carmichael won the motos at Redbud MX, led every lap, set fastest lap times that were several seconds quicker than the next rider on the podium, the reporters on hand noted some gloomy post-race faces. Riders vented openly to anyone who would listen. And why not? They all had the same thing in common. They were not winning. It's frustrating, said Kevin Windham, the only rider to beat Carmichael in a motocross in over three years. Last year, I was able to run with him and beat him a couple times. He's just having a sweep of it. Reading this quote decades later, Carmichael chuckles at Wyndham's comment. I don't know why he would be frustrated. If he would have hopped on my 2003 250, he would have seen what he was dealing with and what I was dealing with, and he probably wouldn't have said that. Like, he's puzzled because he was running with me in 2003, right? He should be like, oh, sh-. well, it doesn't surprise me that I can't run with him this year because now we're on level playing field. Chad Reed told Cycle News, We need to pick it up. We're trying and working hard at home. That's all we can do is try as hard as we can. Despite leaving Red Bud with a comfortable 40-point lead, Carmichael let everyone know he wasn't letting up and only planned to get stronger. I'm going to try to run my training into the ground because that's what works for me, he told Brendan Lutz. I'm all right on a motorcycle, but other than that, I don't have too many other special powers. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on to your hats and glasses, folks. Ricky Carmichael goes wide in the first corner, and I think he gave a little high-five hand slap to his tech, Mike Gosler. Well, when you have the lead that he has, you can afford to do stuff like that. And I'll tell you what, the guys that do his wash will be very happy because he's got absolutely zero, not a zip roost on his gear. Round six. New Berlin, New York, July 18, 2004. Well, this year, Ricky seems extra motivated. He's got the perfect season going so far, and he's also armed with a 450, which should even things out as far as Wyndham goes. One thing to keep in mind, he was five seconds a lap faster in practice. The biggest threat to Ricky right now might just be the skies, because, guys, it looks like it could rain at any second. As one moto win blended into another, Carmichael's memories from the 2004 summer get fuzzy. But he does remember the vibes and how much fun he had racing a dirt bike, even on a track like Unadilla, which he openly loathed. I just remember, like, challenging myself in motos and, like, climbing out of, cl- climbing out of ruts a little bit earlier and off-camber slippery areas, like holding tighter lines and not having to keep my momentum up and keeping the speed up like I did the previous year in 2003 when my bike wasn't that good. I I just remember always challenging myself on the course and basically being more methodical and, and, and taking more challenging lines because I had the torque, the power and the, and how well my bike handled that. That's the only thing I really like remember heavy rains canceled Saturday practice and left the track muddy and ruddy for Sunday. Carmichael led every lap, but caught his left foot in a deep rut at the base of a high speed uphill. 
And I mean, I was hauling ass, dude. And it like almost ripped me off the motorcycle. It was so violent and the dirt was heavy and I was going fast and the thing just, yeah, like I almost did like a, a knack knack on the ground. The stinger left him in a lot of pain, which he carried to the next round in Ohio. Carmichael left Unadilla Valley Sports Center with his 11th and 12th moto wins, halfway toward another perfect season. The noise about sweeping them all increased. The sub-headline and cycle news read, Ricky Carmichael is one step closer to perfection again. And the first paragraph was devoted to discussing 24-0. Nobody can touch him, Brendan Lutz wrote. Carmichael again swept both motos in convincing fashion, and by doing so, showed that the impossible just might happen again. Impact Carmichael has been dominating. Well, he's definitely been on the rails and going hard. And You know, a lot of people talking about the pseudo-supercross outdoor race at Troy, Ohio, which also allegedly is going to be the last time around. They say they're not going to be going back there again after this year. That event moved into Colorado, but a, a big chance for Chad Reed to maybe step up and break the streak. If Ricky can go through there, I find it hard to believe that anybody's going to beat him right. other than Ricky himself. Round 7, Troy, Ohio. July 25, 2004. Mike Gosler couldn't start the bike. He didn't know why, and he didn't have time to figure it out. He had just finished his between motos maintenance routine. Bike wash, oil and filter changes, controls check, hardware tightening, new tires, chain lube. Only an hour earlier, Carmichael had used this same bike to win Moto 1 at Kenworthy's Motocross Park. He didn't lead the first two laps, but he did win his 13th consecutive moto. I think Ricky thinks here he goes to the outside. We'll see how he works this line. It's a long way around. It should set him up to the inside, though, but still not the case. Chad Reed is showing why he's the, the reigning 250 Supercross champion in a very Supercross-type motocross track. And Carmichael gets diving inside. Yeah, he made it stick that time. When it came time to warm up the bike and head to the line for Moto2, however... Gosler had a kickstart lever that wouldn't move as easily as it should. He considered the worst case scenario, parts floating around in the engine. In the end, he wasn't far off. He sent Carmichael to the starting line without a bike, while he scrambled to find out what he could. He disassembled part of the engine and saw that the decompression system had failed. Only, he couldn't find the missing pieces. And he certainly didn't have time to fix it which required further disassembly. The decompression system bleeds off pressure to allow the engine to come to life in one swift stroke of the Kickstarter. Without a functioning decompression system, the piston wants to stop at top dead center on the compression stroke. Once reassembled, Gosler knew he simply had to throw his entire leg into firing up the bike. He got it started, took it to the starting line, and handed it to Carmichael. He didn't say anything about the possible floating parts. It's never a good feeling when you know something is broken in the bike and we're racing it anyways, Gosler says. For the next 36 minutes, Gosler prayed silently that Carmichael wouldn't stall it during the race. You could kick it, but it had to be really hard. Being that he's short, I figured if he stalls it, we're done. Carmichael led every lap, 1 by 17 seconds, and left the last ever pro motocross at Kenworthy's with a still flawless 14-0 record and a 54-point lead. 
When Gosler tore down the motor, he found pieces of a spring from the decompression system stuck to a magnetic part of the engine. As Ricky Carmichael takes two wins here in Troy, Ohio at Kenworthy's. He's a perfect 14 in 14 photos on the season. Round 8. Washougal, Washington. August 1, 2004. Elon, Holland's still your leader. Alos, Ryan Strong in second. Carmichael, I mean, when's the last time he got passed? No question. I, I think that's what Chad needed, though. The Aussie anger, and, and Ricky comes right back, takes a much better line, gives him plenty of room, and Chad takes him wide. Once again, Chad Reed coming back with an aggressive pass. Those are all Who is Rusty Holland? That's the Jeopardy answer to this clue. He was the only rider not named Carmichael, Wyndham, or Reed to lead a lap of the 2004 AMA Chevrolet 250cc Pro Motocross Championship. Joe Aloff took the hole shot in Moto 1, but Clausen Motorsports' Holland passed for the lead just a few turns into the first lap. Carmichael and Reed battled for second at the end of lap 1 at Washougal Motocross Park. Carmichael slammed into the Yamaha rider in an elevated left-hand corner in the darkest part of the forested course. He must have known payback was imminent because two turns later, after crossing through the green flag at the end of the first lap, Reed came under Carmichael, who went higher in the turn than he normally would. The rivals picked at each other like that for much of the second lap, while Holland enjoyed the open track ahead of him. It was the closest thing to a real race anyone had seen all summer. Reed and Carmichael passed Holland just before the end of the second lap and continued their fight. Carmichael drag-raced Reed through a series of tall rollers and shaved the course boundary so closely His foot peg caught and ripped the cover off a hay bale, sending it floating in the air. It was so clean and quick, the hay bale didn't even move. Entering the corner from the outside, Carmichael kept the throttle on until he could safely close off the line. That was it. Carmichael walked away from Reed and won the moto by 30 seconds. Before the start of the second moto, ESPN's Davy Coombs delivered a pre-race report in front of the starting line to remind the viewers that Washougal had been a challenge for Carmichael. He lost to Kevin Windham in both 2001 and 2003. This race at Washougal was the one he was looking at to get him over the hump, Coombs said. Carmichael's heading into the second moto going, if he can win this one, it's just eight more to go. We might see history repeated again. Another perfect season. Carmichael won by nearly 40 seconds. Pound for pound, maybe the best rider on the planet. As Carmichael comes through, the white flag is out, and now it's going to go to Checker. Your winner from Washougal, RC Ricky Carmichael picks up. Round 9, Millville, Minnesota, August 15, 2004. Well, today, Ricky Carmichael continues the streak, and many are starting to wonder, will the streak ever come to a conclusion? Everyone trying to get a glimpse of this superstar as Carmichael continues his assault on the 250 title. The hype at Spring Creek Raceway wasn't about the perfect season, or even Carmichael. It was about a 16-year-old named Mike Alessi, who had competed in his last amateur motocross race just a week earlier, and decided to line up against Carmichael, Reed, and Wyndham in his professional debut. Team Alessi made bold statements before a single tire hit the track at Millville. Wearing red t-shirts with 
believed the hype screen printed in block letters on the back. Alessi told ESPN's Jamie Little he was hoping for a podium, but was realistically shooting for a top five finish. Carmichael needed a bit of a nudge to remember Alessi's debut, but once it hit him, he blurted out, Believe the hype! That alone didn't rankle him much, but an interview he read back then did. He can't remember where the interview appeared, but he recalls Mike's father, Tony, calling Carmichael a hazard on the track. This memory is corroborated by Kip Palmer's Cycle News reporting. In the post-race press conference, Carmichael unleashed his opinion of Alessi. I got tired of everyone asking me about this guy. He needs to respect that these people up here, the veterans, because we've accomplished things. To claim a podium when you haven't even raced somebody? His dad said I'm a hazard to people on the track. When his son's the guy that's going out and Sebastian's teammate, knocking his shift lever off. It's a bummer that people say stuff like that. Sebastian's teammate was Sean Hamblin, with whom Alessi collided in a corner in the first moto. Alessi finished 31st overall. The haphazard comment really pissed me off. My only goal that weekend for him (laughs) was to show him like, okay, well, this is the big time and you're not just going to be a a starter and and be able to pull the whole shot on, on all of us, not just me, but, you know, all the other guys. In the race, Carmichael needed two laps to track down Reed for the win in Moto 1. He led wire to wire in the second moto and spent the entire last lap of the race throwing one-handers over the jumps. Young man's armor. I don't see any reason why he cannot streak through the rest of the season. Remember, we have three more stops to go. And it looks like Carmichael is going to wrap things up and pick up yet another title. And before he exits Honda, he'll add one more trophy to their case. I wonder if the guys at uh, Honda are maybe second-guessing that, uh, letting <laughs> Ricky go to Suzuki for next year. I know one person that's happy about it. Roger Acosta is screaming from ear to ear for certain. Round 10. Binghamton, New York, August 22, 2004. Jamie Little in the house today. It is picture-perfect day. But yesterday, Cameron, a whole different story. Coming down in buckets, they decided to cancel practice. Seven inches of rain had fallen in the weeks leading up to the pro motocross at Broome Tioga Sports Center. The track turned into a slot car course. The type of conditions that I loved racing in, one big long rut, it was hard, it was slippery, and those are really conditions that the four-stroke would shine in. This goes back to um, my comment earlier talking to you about the, the gnarlier the conditions were, the better that bike handled. Carmichael led all 32 laps and left Broome Toyoga with 500 points to Reed's 406. Because of Reed's consistent 2-2 finishes, the championship celebration had to wait. The checkered flag. You know, he was running Seabiscuit at the start of the year on his pants. I think right now they should run War Admiral because this guy is unbelievable. Ricky Carmichael picking up the victory at Binghamton. Round 11, Delmont, Pennsylvania, September 5, 2004. It's the important weekend for me this weekend. I have a chance to, to wrap up the title. I think I got to get like five points over the course of the weekend. So uh, just looking forward to, uh, to trying to go out there and, and win, win the race and, and win the title. That's our number one goal for the weekend. Not to correct Ricky's math, but it's six points that he needs to wrap up the title. There you see the points, Carmichael, Reed, and Villeman, your top three. Steel City Raceway held special meaning for Carmichael. 
It was the site of his pro debut in 1996. In 2001, he won the dramatic finale of the 125 class, and one day later, secretly tested a Honda CR250 for the first time. In 2002, he earned his first perfect season there. In 2004, he won the first moto by 63 seconds, the largest gap of the season. How appropriate that Ricky Carmichael wraps up yet another title at this historic track. Your winner, 250, moto number one and 2004 champion, Ricky Carmichael. He accomplished his ultimate goal of returning from injury and winning another title. After the race, he got a bit nostalgic and reflective with the reporters. I'm just enjoying racing and I love what I do, he said. It feels so good. I just think about watching Supercross on the couch as a kid. You just can't take winning for granted because you never know when you're going to win again. Honda's win ads in Cycle News looked similar all summer. They just swapped photos and ad copy each week. One witty advertisement read, It only seems like we've been running the same ad every week. After Steel City, the copy read, The next round is merely a victory lap. The CRF 450 enjoyed its best day ever at Steel City. It claimed all three spots on the podium with Carmichael, Wyndham, and Michael Essie, who impressively earned third in just his second professional race. Even Jeremy McGrath raced at Steel City on a Honda 450. He planned to compete in select Supercross races in 2005 and needed to score points to keep his permanent race number. And let's not forget, Davey, the streak is still intact. He is perfect and has yet to be beaten this year in the Outdoor Nationals. And look at that. He charged literally to the last corner. I mean, he never waved the crowd. I mean, that guy is all business. Your winner, Ricky Carmichael at Steel City. Round 12, San Bernardino, California, September 12, 2004. Well, this was a scene as Ricky Carmichael went out to practice looking fine. Pulls off the line, no problem, and then the problem started. See Kevin Wyndham there just lost over the little tabletop, and Ricky was right behind him, nowhere to go, thrown like a rag doll. Nobody could throw up a warning in time to prevent the violent collision. Carmichael popped up over the jump as Wyndham rose to his feet. The bottom of Carmichael's frame landed on top of Wyndham's prone motorcycle, and the sound of metal slamming metal overrode the reactionary screams from the onlookers. Carmichael was ejected from the bike, his body tossed like a javelin. But humans are not pointy, and he took the impact with his shoulder and neck. His legs flipped over top of his torso, whipping his head around like a crash test dummy. The impact twisted and bent Carmichael's frame and severely sprained his left ankle. He limped back to his Honda, and in a truly Carmichael move, rode off and set the fastest lap time of the session. I had to, Carmichael says, when asked why he went back out on the track, because my ankle was sore and I didn't want it to lock up. I went out there and kept riding. This reporter was a producer on the ESPN television crew in 2004. And if that voice in the coverage from Glenn Helen sounds eerily familiar, that's because it's me. I got to call that race with Todd Harris. That's another story for another time. I happened to be standing with one of our camera operators when Carmichael crashed. We had a direct view of it. It was dumb luck that we caught it on tape. 
It was literally tape back then. For us storytellers, there was a genuine fear that the perfect season might not happen because Carmichael might be too injured to line up. His ankle bones disappeared under the swollen skin. A bruise formed at the base of his toes and traveled up to the outer edge of his calf. After practice, he hobbled around under the Honda awning. So I'm like, well, now it's going to be tough to go 24-0. This thing's pretty sore. So I couldn't, I just remember I couldn't enjoy the day like I wanted to because of my, because of my ankle. That was the last race for me on a Honda. It kind of got spoiled because of, because of what had happened in practice. So Gosler didn't have time to wonder about Ricky's ankle. He had a frame with smashed bottom rails, so he asked the team's helper, Lars Lindstrom, to grab the spare from the truck's storage loft. Honda replaced frames every three to four races that season, and the spare had already gone through a normal cycle. And it looked it. Gosler grimaced when Lindstrom handed him the battle-worn aluminum chassis. Mike prided himself on the beauty of his bikes, especially the polished and buffed frames he spent hours perfecting. And now, headed toward a perfect season, on a bike that will undoubtedly wind up in a Honda lobby or museum, he had no choice but to rebuild it around this grimy frame. Lindstrom laughs when asked about this moment. The last thing on my mind was, I better clean this frame up so it looks really good. We weren't in a panic, but we had to work quickly, he says. Now American Honda's motocross team manager, Lindstrom wants to know why the frame was put away dirty in the first place. Gosler still brings this story up when they see each other. I wouldn't expect any of our mechanics today to put away a frame dirty, he says. It should have been put away buffed out and clean. I put it on Goose for putting it away dirty. For Gosler, what did end as a magical day will always be slightly overshadowed by this. It's something he can't let go of. He understands how others might not see the significance of a shiny frame, but his pride was in that bike, how it ran, and how it looked. It was up to Carmichael to do the rest. Carmichael had no reason to race at Glen Helen and further compromise his body. He had already won the championship. He had to consider his future and the contract he signed back in April. He was eight days out from a test session with Suzuki but he never considered sitting out. Before racing started on Sunday afternoon, he gathered the Honda crew together to give an emotional thank you and goodbye speech, which Miller remembers as being, quote, really neat. With number one decals on his number plates and a patch reading $325 on the back of his pants, Honda team members got $325 bonuses for every Honda win, Carmichael dominated once again, winning the motos over Chad Reed, and completing the second perfect season of his career. The second one wasn't as shocking as the first one. Nothing ever is the second time around, but doing it under the circumstances and hurdles of the past year made it very special. Glenn Helen marked, roughly, one year since he tore his ACL. So this is it. Ricky Carmichael wraps up not yet another moto, another title, another overall, but the perfect season comes to a conclusion. Your winner from Glenn Helen. Ricky Carmichael. Well, champ, that's it, man. You did it again. Perfect. I can't believe it's uh, 
you know, especially sitting at home watching uh, Chad dominate the Supercross, and uh, I knew I was a strong candidate for the title, and uh, I'm so happy. I was almost in tears the last lap, and uh, I had a lump in my throat for sure. It's, it's amazing. The Glen Helen National was Carmichael's 51st Honda win and his last with the team. He had so much reverence for the crew that helped him win two Supercross and three motocross titles and two perfect seasons that he ran number one plates for the first and only time ever in his premier class career. 364 days later, Carmichael completed yet another sweep of a motocross season. He didn't win every moto, but he did win 22 of the 24, and he won all 12 overalls, and, of course, another championship. Because that's what Ricky Carmichael did. He had the ability to make lightning strike. Thanks for listening. Remember to share this episode with a friend and leave a rating and review. And if you want free stickers, go to wewentfast.com slash subscribe. Details are in the welcome message. Be sure to hit up Throttle Jockey for your bike graphics. Passion, history, quality. Throttlejockey.com And if you want to help us tell more stories, visit shop.wewentfast.com Every shirt, hat, and piece of art we sell gets the same attention to detail as the stories do. Shop.wewentfast.com Join the Fast family. Fast family.